Hey, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Euronurse. We meet every Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time. We have a really great show for you today. If you're watching us on YouTube, that's great, but be sure to check us out on our website at euronurse.com so you can find out how you can join the live discussion. Uh, we take questions and answers throughout our session, so if you want to get a question through, you can't do it on YouTube. So today's a little bit different format. We've been trying some things out and uh, the first half, we normally take general questions. If you've got a question, feel free to put it in on the Q&A. We will take it during that first half. But since uh, there hasn't been a lot of questions coming through, I got a new idea we're going to try. And I also open this up to you attendees. If you want to get involved in it down the line, go to the submit questions area on our website. We're going to take your best urology story, short story, something that you remember from practice that really sounds good. And we've got some for you today from our panelists um, and we'll share those. And then we're gonna have a great talk coming up. We're, I'm really happy to tell you that Shreva Kovella has uh, joined us and she is a doctor in physical therapy all the way from Richmond, uh, Virginia. And she's gonna be talking about what does the pelvic floor have to do with stress urinary incontinence? I think it's always great to hear from a, another discipline on how they treat the same problems that we treat. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's really excited. I'm going to go ahead and kick off with having uh, Andrea give us an announcement and her story. Good morning, everyone. I have a spooky story for you this morning on this Halloween weekend. Um, so those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrea Strong. I'm a nurse practitioner in urology here in Wisconsin. Um, so this is a fictional story based off of real events. So there was a nurse, ER nurse, who decided to go do some volunteer work down in Mexico. When she was there, she developed abdominal pain, dysuria, and gross hematuria. She wasn't sure what was going on, but she wanted to wait to come back here before deciding to go to the ER. So she presented to the emergency room here, and they ran a urinary urinalysis, which came back negative. Urine culture was negative. Um, they did a CT of the abdomen, no stones, no abnormalities. So the doctors told her she probably passed a kidney stone um, and to follow up with her local urologist. So she makes an appointment with her local urologist. She still has abdominal pain, urinary frequency, burning with urination and gross hematuria. So they ordered the full workup for blood in the urine. She has um, a, a urine cytology, which comes back negative for any cancer cells. She has a cystoscopy, which demonstrates some white spots. Um, she was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis and started on Elmeron. Um, she later noticed some, a couple days later, some twig-like pieces of sort of brown and red colored pieces in her urine. She brings them back to her urologist and he's not sure what they are, but he thought maybe the toilet wasn't clean. Um, she continues to have problems. So she goes to her primary care doctor who decides to throw the book at her. He orders all the blood tests, all the urine tests, ruled out endometriosis, ruled out pelvic floor dysfunction, and her blood test came back positive for schistosomiasis, which is a parasite in the urine. 
Um, so the diagnosis of schistosomiasis is made through detection of parasite eggs found in the urine or the stool. You can also test for antibodies in the uh, antibodies or antigens in blood tests. This parasite is common in Africa, Middle East, the Caribbean, Brazil, Venezuela. And um, the treatment, from what I could find on the World Health Organization, is a medicine, I, I may mispronounce this, but it's uh, trizenquinol. Um, so it is very treatable, not very common in the United States, but I think it's important for it to be on our radar, uh, especially if you have patients who've traveled outside of the country. So happy Halloween, and thanks for <laughs> listening to my spooky story. That was definitely scary. That was <laughs> Great story. Yeah. All right. I'm going to put Shravya on the spot. You said you have a story for me. Go ahead and let us know. Yes. I came up with it um, just a minute ago. It's not a urology story or related to urinary incontinence, but I think it's a nice um, little, you know, story that kind of demonstrates what some of the things that we see in physical therapy. Uh, So I had a patient this is a, maybe a spooky story too, Andrea. I had a patient who um, came to me and had a history of pelvic pain. She waited to be intimate with a partner until she got married. Um, and she had gotten married about two years beforehand. And when they tried to be intimate, it was so extremely painful. She was almost passing out from the pain um, and, and felt like a block. So she went to her primary care who referred her over to a gynecologist in her area um, and she didn't have one yet as they had moved. And this gynecologist told her to take uh, a long candle, church candle, and just um, wet the candle and put it up inside of her vaginal canal and just keep it there for you know an hour or two that long. Um, every night. And she she did. She, of course, developed an infection. Um, she had some other issues that went on. And it was over a year and a half later until she came over to pelvic floor physical therapy and was telling me the story. And, you know, I was like, keep a straight face, keep a straight face. Um, but she did it. And so we had to kind of talk her through, you know, we're not going to use candles, we're going to use dilators and work on, um, you know, down-regulating the nervous system, breathing, all of this good stuff. But this story does have a happy ending after working with her um, for about six to seven months and having her having a home program. She was able to be intimate with her husband. They were able to conceive um, and they have a baby. So that's a happy ending to that story. Um, But a little spooky because Someone told her to put candles up there, which never do, never do. <laughs> that was a great story. Love it. Hey, John, I know I didn't uh, tell you, but you have a story. I'll put you on the spot. Oops, you you're must be muted. Okay. Uh, coming up with the story. All right. Uh, I'll think of, uh, I think of one. All right. So I'm, I'm sure, well, shower thoughts for me is, vasectomy thoughts as i'm doing vasectomies and i i do a lot of these i'm always thinking well what what do people mean when they say balls to the wall 
balls to the wall. What is what does that mean, right? As as an immigrant, I had to learn English. English is a, a second language to me. All these idioms, what do they mean? So I had to look it up and try to figure out what is balls to the wall. Well, it's pretty straightforward and simple. So when you say balls to the wall, you're trying really, really, really hard to do something, right? You're you're giving the 110% effort. Well, if you think about on an airplane, on, on a general aviation, not a commercial airplane, but on a general aviation airplane, believe it or not, often the throttle of the airplane is shaped like a ball. And when you push that forward towards the part of the plane called the firewall, towards the front of the plane, that means you're increasing throttle. And so balls to the wall, meaning you're increasing the throttle all the way up 100% towards the firewall, hence the word or the phrase balls to the wall. Hey, great story for off the cuff. That's a neat idea. Neat thought. Um, all right. So I do have a story since we were just talking vasectomies. This is my favorite vasectomy story. True story. Hard to believe. Um, but anyway, patient comes in. I'm, got, I'm getting the patient ready for the vasectomy. I do the scrub ahead of time for the docs. So the patient's getting ready to come in. We normally don't let the partner come into the room just because we have another person to worry about fainting or whatever. But the wife says, I've got to come in with him. He's got a severe anxiety disorder. I said, okay, well, she said, I'm, I'm the only one who could talk him down. He'll be fine. As long as I'm there, it'll be fine. So Doc said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're, we'll, we'll go ahead and try that. So anyway, patient comes in, wife comes into the room. I got to go through my normals. You know, anybody who's done this over years and years, you just kind of spit this stuff off the top of your head. I said, very good. I said, I need you to undress from the waist down. I turn around and the wife has now pulled her pants and underwear down. She she was so nervous that she just listened to what I said. The husband said, honey, I don't think he meant you. <laughs> well, that was my crazy vasectomy story. I love oh, that every chance I get. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's funny. So, so just watch, John, someday if you have a wife come in, they can be awful nervous. <laughs> Yet another reason why we do not have spectators now we do allow live streaming if they want to live stream it or if they want to record it on their phone that's great that's your privacy issue that's your hipaa issue that's not right. my hipaa issue so go ahead and record as you wish on your device or stream it to whatever platform that that's your prerogative we do not allow spectators in the in the uh vasectomy. besides it's only five six minutes so yep. you're not going to miss much. Yep. All right. Well, that was great. Those are some great stories. Um, and for all you panelists, thanks for joining us today. As always, we're uh, we're here for you guys. And to make this a great show, you can see we got our Halloween theme. I hope everybody has a safe uh, weekend of, of treat tricks and treats. Um, also, a uh, you know, just to keep in mind, you're welcome to send in stories to me. I'll read them off on the air. So if you have a great story and you want to share it, just go to the website and send it off as a uh, submission. And maybe next week we'd be reading your story. And if you want to, got a great story and don't want to have your name, just mention it. Just put down anonymous. Glad to keep you anonymous. Um, again, anytime you have questions, feel free to ask those. But uh, since there's no questions coming, oh, I got a couple of 
questions here. Let's see. Oh, Leo is making a comment. Leo, welcome. I think this may be your first time here. I'm a urology nurse practitioner in Jersey Shore on my second year. Recently finished RNFA didactic yesterday. OMG. Hey, well, congratulations. And, congratulations. Uh, Leo liked the, the spooky story, Andrea. That was a great, great story. Mm -hmm. All right. So now, now the, the, you know, the, the bar has been raised. So you see what we got to come up with up against. So feel free to throw in your questions. I mean, your great stories to, to have read. Um, at this point, I think we're ready to go on and do our great presentation. So again, um, we're going to go and start our presentation. I'll have you switch over to your screen sharing, Shravya, to... Right. And you can maybe give a little background information who you are to the audience, because this is the first time they're going to be seeing you. Yeah, definitely. Let me make sure. Is my screen, is, are you able to see my screen here? I do. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um, so hi, everyone. I'm Shravya Kavella. I am a doctor of physical therapy. Um, my clinical specialty is in orthopedics and board specialized in orthopedics, as well as additional courses. And I primarily treat pelvic floor, um, pelvic floor dysfunction, pelvic health. It is something I am hugely passionate about. So I'm so excited to be here talking with everyone. As Vic said, it's always wonderful to be talking with, um, you know, clinicians and, and experts outside of our discipline as well. So very excited to be here. I'm also the business development manager um, at Flight, which is actually how uh, myself and a colleague met Vic um, at SUNA. We were presenting some research at SUNA specifically about um, our product Flight, which is using a new technology called mechanotherapy to improve stress urinary incontinence. And we were presenting our two-year long-term follow-up data of our study that demonstrated that even with discontinued use of flight, um, our participants still had improving ICIQ scores, IQOL scores, or quality of life scores, um, which we're really excited about. So more options, more resources for uh, women out there is always fantastic. So what I wanted to talk about today is um, what does the pelvic floor have to do with stress urinary incontinence? This is a pretty broad topic, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with, um, you know, some of the things that I'll talk about today, but this is, I think we could spend hours talking about this, um, but I'm just going to do an, an overview of, you know, from a pelvic floor physical therapist perspective, how we might look at stress urinary incontinence um, and hopefully be able to give you some uh, points to take away from here, things to think about with your patients um, and knowing you know, when or how to refer to a pelvic floor PT or other resources or options that might fit into your patient's um, lifestyle a little bit better, such as flight. All right, so we're starting pretty basic here. What does the pelvic floor do? Um, these are, I call them the five S's because we all like to remember things when there's a mnemonic or something involved. So the five S's, stability, pelvic floor is one of your main deep core muscles. So a lot of time people are thinking core muscles, they're thinking six pack abs. We're thinking about that deep lumbopelvic core, which is gonna include the diaphragm, the transverse abdominis, a little muscle in your back called the multifidus, 
and then your pelvic floor muscles. So they play a really important role in stability of the pelvis, the hips, the spine. Um, so always, you know, taking, wondering, asking questions about previous uh, hip injuries, for example, hip labral tears are a risk factor for pelvic floor dysfunction, back pain. Um, there was a study done where they had uh, participants, all female, who were coming in um, for back pain to physical therapy, and they asked them questions about urinary incontinence, and they found that 79% of those back pain patients did have urinary incontinence. Um, so pelvic floor muscles play a big role there. They play a role in support, as many of us know, um, support of the organs and um, of all the good things that live in the pelvis and our abdomen. Uh, so that could play into those prolapse symptoms that we sometimes hear about, pressure, heaviness, um, as well as stress urinary incontinence, which we'll get into. Sphincter control, that's urethral and anorectal sphincter. Um, sump and pump helps with lymphatic drainage and as well as sexual health. All right, so just a little diagram here, very simple of the pelvic floor muscles. They uh, live right at the base of our pelvis, so they almost create a hammock or a sling. Um, and they, as you can see, they're supporting the organs right there. They start at the pubic bone, come all the way back over to the tailbone, and they expand from sit bone to sit bone. So we've got three layers of pelvic floor muscles. They all have functions that play into those main five functions that we spoke about. A strong and a healthy pelvic floor is rare. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. It is rare. Um, that being said, it doesn't mean that your patient may have symptoms. We can have a tense pelvic floor without having any symptoms. Um, we can have a weak pelvic floor without having any, having any symptoms. Uh, and so keeping that in mind when you're talking to your patients. Now, generally those, those symptoms may come about. Um, and a lot of times they may come about when there's something else that's added to the picture. So if you have a patient, for example, with, um, you know, a tight pelvic floor who has a vaginal birth, um, and maybe has some scar tissue from tearing, that's, that may be a problem after birth, um, for their postpartum care because their baseline was already tighter, even though they may not have had symptoms at that time. And similarly with, with the weak pelvic floor muscles. So you can see on the left, um, the tighter pelvic floor muscles are sitting higher. Um, and on the, on the right, you see that they're weaker, they're dropping down. The right is a little bit easier for a lot of people to kind of um, um, visualize and think about as to why that may bring about stress urinary incontinence. So sneezing, coughing, laughing, um, activities such as jumping, any type of sudden or forceful activity that causes urine uh, leakage is what we consider stress urinary incontinence, a change in that abdominal pressure that causes um, pressure to go onto the urethral sphincter. So on the right side, we can kind of see when those pelvic floor muscles are drooping, maybe their tone is just baseline lower, they're weaker. You see that, you know, if you look at some of these organs that the urethra is not as tightly held, um, you can see same with the rectum. So that kind of makes a little bit more sense for us. When we're thinking about the tighter pelvic floor muscles, we can still have those same issues. If we have tight muscles, then they can't function as they need to. We need to have a full range of motion of our muscles. So one of the ways I describe it is if we look on the left, if someone has an urge with um, a urinary urge, and then they're trying to squeeze and hold it, 
they don't have any more squeeze in them because they're already baseline just overactive or tight. Um, so that can also lead to some issues. I also wanted to distinguish here between overactivity and tight pelvic floor muscles. A tight muscle is like, gosh, you sat on, on an airplane for hours and you get out and you're like, oh, my back is stiff or my hamstring is really tight. You stretch it and you're good to go. It feels loose. It's all good. So a tight muscle versus an overactive muscle. Overactive muscles are, they're tight because they're overworking. They're on all the time. We see that a lot with the pelvic floor muscles, especially associated with those patients who at baseline might have some increased anxiety, depression, um, those kind of uh, chest breathers who are tight up in their, in their um, shoulders a lot. So that can also contribute to um, overactive pelvic floor muscles at rest. Or where are they holding their tension? Are they clenching their abdomen all day? Are they squeezing their glutes, clenching their pelvic floor? All of that can lead to tense pelvic floor muscles. And I will say, especially since the pandemic, we've seen a lot of, of tight pelvic floors. It's a stressful time for all of us. So, all right. So stress urinary incontinence, as we talked about loss of urine with any force or sudden activity, um, a lot of times we think about uh, impact activity, jumping on a trampoline with your kids, um, running, uh, things like that. It can be even with daily activities, getting out of a chair, getting out of bed, things like that as well. So it's going to look different for each person. Some musculoskeletal causes to think about. I say some because this is a general list and there's definitely more reasons out there, but um, a good, good way to start thinking about this from a musculoskeletal perspective, we talked about the weak pelvic floor muscles and the tight pelvic floor muscles that may contribute to stress urinary incontinence. We spoke briefly about the overactive pelvic floor muscles. What that means is that if we come and stretch those muscles, they might feel better for a day. And then what's going to happen is they're going to go right back to clenching those overactive pelvic floor muscles. So as PTs, our goal is to determine and figure out, it's like a puzzle, right? Why, why are those tight? Are their glutes not functioning as well? Did they have a previous hip injury that caused those issues? Um, are they stressed all day and clenching? Are they not breathing properly? So their diaphragm can't move. So their pelvic floor muscles can't move. So we have to look into all of those things to figure out what's going on at the pelvic floor. Similarly, weak abdominal muscles can really impact the pelvic floor. Um, you can have a very strong pelvic floor, but still have stress urinary incontinence. Um, we'll talk about that in a second, but a lot of that has to do with that deep lumbopelvic core we're talking about, the rest of your trunk musculature. What's going on there? How is it coordinating? Where's that pressure going? when they sneeze, when they cough, when they jump. So weak abdominal muscles, we see that a lot, especially postpartum. Um, reconnecting with your core can really benefit that. Reconnecting with your breath, as well as the rest of your uh, lumbopelvic complex, so the pelvic floor muscles. We hear a lot, as I'm sure you all do, um, from our early postpartum patients of I don't even know where my pelvic floor is. I'm not even sure how to turn that on or where that is. Um, and so that decreased awareness can, can be challenging for a lot of people. And then the last thing too, poor quality form of an activity. I've had patients who come in, have dealt with SUI for years, 
And, um, you know, every time they run uphill, they deal with incontinence. And sometimes I don't even do an internal assessment. I don't check their pelvic floor. I don't do any of that. I just watch them run. We change a couple things. We change their breath. We check that their core is working well and we check all that. And then they have no urinary incontinence and they're good to go. Um, so thinking about how the force and impact is going through their body, how is that contributing to the pressure that's going onto their pelvic floor? Um, so that quality of form is important. Uh, how are you squatting? How are you lifting your kids? Um, how are you breathing during that activity? Are all things that we can kind of suggest to our patients to um, pay attention to as we as we address this? All right, so here on the left is just a picture of what we spoke about with weakened pelvic floor muscles. So you can see strong pelvic floor muscles on the top, sphincter muscles contracted, urethra stays closed. When the sphincter muscles are relaxed, we see with weakened pelvic floor muscles, um, you know, the urethra is at rest a little bit more open. We can have some leakage through there. On the right side, I have the impact of a tight pelvic floor here, whereas you can see with the pelvic floor, you might have some of these other symptoms as well, jaw tension, diaphragm tension, stiff kind of back, upper back, maybe some pelvic girdle pain or pelvic pain. Um, but that doesn't always have to be the case. Sometimes that, you know, we have patients with none of those things. Uh, but with that impact, let's say, for example, on the right side for this runner patient that we have, um, if she's running and with every impact that's going through her foot all the way up the chain, um, up through her knee or her hip into her trunk, that's not being absorbed very well. And if that's not being absorbed very well by the glutes, by the core, all of that pressure has to go somewhere and it's going to go into her pelvic floor. And that will contribute to that downward pressure that then could lead to incontinence. So both weakened pelvic floor muscles and tightened pelvic floor muscles overactive can definitely lead to SUI. And as you know, it's a lot of times we have patients who have SUI and then as you start asking questions, they're like, oh, you know, I actually do have urge or no, actually, yeah, my back does hurt every now and then. Um, so definitely it, these things can really contribute to a lot of things. This is what, we, what I was speaking about with the abdominal pressure. So the diaphragm, which is right up here at the top of the diagram, and the pelvic floor muscles, they work together. They work as a piston. So if the diaphragm is here and the pelvic floor is here, when we inhale, our diaphragm has to contract and drop to allow room for the lungs, the pelvic floor muscles automatically lengthen. When we exhale, the diaphragm lifts and returns back to its baseline. Pelvic floor muscles lift and return back to its baseline. So they move together like this piston, just like this. So if we were to take someone off the street who has no pelvic floor dysfunction, do real-time ultrasound, that's the movement that we would see. We would also see the transverse abdominis, so a corset-like muscle that wraps around the front of the body towards the back. We would see that co-contract at least about 30% pelvic floor. And so all of that is working together. So if we're not having great breathing practices when we're lifting our kids, if we're holding our breath and our core is not able to support that, I almost think about it like a soda can. If we have a soda can and everything is really sturdy and unopened, I try to crush that soda can with my hands, probably gonna hurt my hands because that pressure is really well regulated within the soda can. If I were to open that soda can, maybe dent the front, the bottom, maybe we had 
a vaginal birth with some tearing, maybe a diastasis that led to some abdominal um, weakness, you know, history of back pain. We kind of dent the sides. If I squeeze one side of that, the liquid has to go somewhere. It's going to go out um, because there's, there's nowhere else for it to go. Similar thought process with prolapse symptoms and, and pressure and heaviness. All of that pressure is going to go downwards. So looking at, to, at this whole picture of how are they breathing? What are their abdominals doing? Um, you know, do they have these history of other injuries or pain? Can really give us a, a bigger idea of, um, you know, what might be going on with their pelvic floor muscles and, and some, some tips and tricks to give them to start working on that diaphragmatic breathing. Can they exhale during exertion? A great place to start because we know what that when we exhale, the diaphragm lifts and the pelvic floor lifts. So that can help give some support and stability, potentially lift against that pressure that's coming downwards. So all of those techniques can play a role into some of the things that we look at. Look at. Um, but I really wanted to kind of give this big idea of 100% the pelvic floor is very important. And we do nine out of 10 times do address it um, and look closely at it, whether through an internal or external exam based on the patient's comfort level. Um, however, we are looking at the whole system because just as your shoulder doesn't work without your neck or your elbow or your wrist, your pelvic floor muscles are working within a system as well. All right, so some signs of pelvic floor tightness and overactivity um, that you may hear that might clue you into this could be that urinary urgency and frequency, um, tailbone pain, uh, even patients who have had um, a fall on their tailbone 15, 20, 30 years ago, um, there, you know, there is some research that supports that that could be leading to pelvic floor dysfunction even far down the line. Um, so asking questions, did you ever fall on your tailbone or on your um, pelvis when you were a kid even? Uh, back pain, any type of pelvic pain, that's an umbrella term, right? But pelvic girdle pain, pubic symphysis pain, um, uh, dyspareunia, anything like that. Uh, pain with vaginal anorectal penetration, um, with speculum with intimacy with um tampon use you know you'll be surprised if you ask these specific questions you might have some patients who say oh yeah actually you know tampons have always been a little painful for me I just don't use them um and and things like that difficulty fully emptying the bladder or starting the stream of urine so hesitation uh constipation or straining with the bowel movement and I just wanted to kind of put out a little statement here that these signs, these are signs, every individual is different. Of course, we know that. Um, and you know, you might have some patients with some of these things who definitely do have weak pelvic floor muscles. Uh, but if we're looking at patterns, this is a good place to start for those patterns. Signs of pelvic floor weakness, um, especially looking at uh, the postpartum, depending on what their experience was during childbirth can also give us a clue into that with the tearing plus some of these um, different uh, signs. So stress urinary incontinence, we know that that's not always a sign of pelvic floor weakness based on what we talked about, um, but compared to urge, we tend to put it more in this umbrella than the pelvic floor tightness. We might have some pelvic floor heaviness or pressure, so the prolapse symptoms. Um, as we know, with prolapse, the severity of prolapse does not always equal the symptoms. Uh, so I do have patients who come in and say, gosh, 
my doctor thinks I have no prolapse, but I have these symptoms and I'm not lying to you. It's like, oh no, I, we believe you, we believe you. Um, but it's just, you know, maybe the severity isn't so bad at 9 a.m. in the morning. And that's when they have their doctor's appointment. So that might impact as well. That's a sign of pelvic floor weakness generally. Um, fecal incontinence, early postpartum we spoke about. And then back pain is also an indication for pelvic floor weakness as well. So these are signs, every individual is different, but just some, some things to start thinking about as you are speaking to your patients who are dealing with um, SUI and, and starting to maybe dive a little deeper into, huh, is this maybe a pelvic floor weakness issue or is this an overactive type pelvic floor? And that might give you some guidance on um, what recommendations to make for a tight pelvic floor. We may not make the recommendation of doing Kegels at home. Um, because if those muscles are tight or overactive, we don't want to be squeezing them and clenching them even more. We will need to teach them how to relax those muscles, um, which can take time. It has a lot to do with the nervous system. It has a lot to do with a lot of the other muscles around there. So that, for example, might cue us into, hey, that could be a good idea to work on some breathing, maybe try some yoga, some stretching in the meantime, while you're you know, getting in with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, there's some great online programs now that work into down training of the pelvic floor. There's a lot more um, awareness of that, which is fabulous. Pelvic floor weakness, that might be a great opportunity to say, hey, what are you doing with your core muscles? Um, you know, what are you doing with uh, your form when you're doing these things? How are you working out your glutes? Um, can you start working on your Kegel, but not just squeezing and clenching all the time because we don't want to cause tightness issues, but instead, can you focus on feeling the lift and the lower, you know, can you maybe put a little towel between your sit bones, sit on a hard chair, and as you exhale, feel the lift, and as you inhale, feel the drop of those pelvic floor muscles, and practice that full range of motion, um, so that they can then develop good coordination of these muscles. All right, so I wanted to introduce a little bit about flight and what we're doing as that was kind of the research that I know Vic was excited and interested about when we spoke at SUNA. Um, so what we're doing at flight is we created a pelvic floor product um, that we are really excited about because we feel that it's completely different from what's out there on the market. As a company, we have pelvic floor PTs on our team um, and so just knowing that you probably already know that we're very passionate about uh, finding the right people who are going to benefit from this product. Um, we are not afraid to tell customers this isn't right for you because it sounds like you're dealing with X, Y, and Z, um, you know, maybe some pelvic floor tightness, maybe working on this. We don't, of course, medically treat over the phone or anything like that, but just give guidance make referrals, um, try to help, you know, all people find the, find the right path for their journey because we see so many patients who get so frustrated and are not sure what to do. Um, so with flight, we have developed a technology. We use something called mechanotherapy. Um, it is essentially just a light oscillation or a vibration of the wand. The wand is intravaginal. That wand um, sits in the vagina, gives a nice gentle stretch to the pelvic floor muscles first. And then it starts lightly vibrating. And that's at a frequency of 35 hertz. So it's um, 30 hertz. It's very uh, like 
it's not aggressive. I think a lot of times we think vibrators, we're thinking, um, you know, for, for central purposes, that is much more aggressive around 90 to 140 hertz. This is very gentle. And what that does, does a couple things for your patient. It's going to help give them some proprioceptive input. So many patients, you know, we can see our elbow, we can see our shoulder, we can see our knee, we can't see our pelvic floor muscles. This can help them gain the awareness of where these muscles are, give that tactile cueing to your patient. Um, that often can help with decreasing compensations. A lot of what we see with our patients who try to do Kegels at home, generally they're doing too many. They're like, I was doing 50 Kegels a day for six weeks. And um, if they're doing 50 Kegels a day of six weeks, they might be clenching their glutes, they're holding their breath, they're squeezing their abs, they're up here with their shoulders, you know, and this really can help them tune in to where they're feeling that light vibration, get that input to understand this is where I need to be squeezing and lifting. Um, we have a biofeedback component, as you can see on the monitor, those lights will light up. So the wand at rest will measure baseline muscle tone. So the pressure and the, and the positioning of the wand. And then once the monitor cues the patient to do a Kegel or a pelvic floor contraction, your patient's going to essentially squeeze and lift the wand, um, which is intravaginal. And that wand is going to register the difference in the pressure and the movement of the wand from baseline. And what that does is that provides lights on the monitor to give the patient biofeedback. Many of us are familiar with biofeedback. Um, what's unique about us is we are not electrical stimulation, but instead what we found is just by adding that light vibration paired with a Kegel, we're actually increasing the impact of a Kegel by 39 times. That's what our clinical research has shown. It's not gonna feel like 39 times harder for your patient, doesn't feel like they're using vaginal weights, nothing like that. What we're doing is we're creating cellular change. We're essentially disrupting the, the extracellular walls, the muscle tissue, so that that essentially has to respond to the signals to then create more tension, baseline tone, better muscle recruitment. And that is what helps amplify that impact of a contraction. What we like about our product too, is if they're not fully relaxing in between each Kegel, that wand is measuring that baseline tone, they're gonna be cued to squeeze again and they've got nowhere to go if they haven't fully relaxed. So they're gonna just get one or two lights on that monitor and that will help cue your patient. Okay, hold on, let me make sure I'm breathing, relaxing my pelvic floor muscles, You know, not only getting good, strong and healthy muscles here, but coordination of these muscles. That is, I would argue, far more important than strength or weakness of pelvic floor muscles. So what we found with our clinical research, we have two clinical studies, 179 patients. Um, we found that five minutes a day is enough because of this amplification effect. This is not a passive modality like electrical stimulation causes the pelvic floor muscles to recruit without the patient having to do um, that, you know, use their neuromuscular system to recruit these muscles themselves. With what we're doing is we are essentially increasing the impact of what these muscles need to do naturally to improve their muscle tone, coordination, and strength. So your patient will be performing their own pelvic floor contractions, and we're adding this light vibration or mechanical signals to an active contraction. And with that, what we found, which has been very exciting and what we presented at SUNA, is that 
Um, even two years later, the majority of our participants did not continue use of flight. They weren't given guidance after our clinical study. We came back and we followed them every six months. And we saw that quality of life, regardless of mild, moderate, or severe severity of urinary incontinence, continued to even improve over those course of two weeks. There was no regression. Um, and we saw improvements across the board there, which is really excited, exciting. As a PT, I never want someone to have to rely on a product or device their whole life. We're not addressing the issue. If they do have to rely on it, there's likely something else going on. They need some additional help. Um, so that was really exciting data for us um, that these results are durable. We saw in our clinical study that with use of five minutes per day for six weeks, um, we had 83% uh, improved continence. And again, that was anywhere from 10 grams of urine leakage upwards to 500 grams of urine leakage for some of these participants. Um, so we're seeing some really great results there that we're excited about. Um, we also have a free Ask a PT service. So this is uh, a colleague who is a customer care manager at Flight. She's a pelvic floor physical therapist as well. I'm a doctor of PT. And she takes calls. We get calls from anyone and everyone. We get calls from people who um, have heard of Flight, but have pelvic pain and she'll kind of, you know, talk them through, Hey, you, it sounds like this might be, um, you know, something that you might want to work on your breathing. You might want to check out this resource and send a link to a program, maybe find a pelvic PT in the area, or she's made referrals to, um, urologists, to gynecologists, just anyone and everyone who might be helpful to these, uh, these people calling into our PT service. Um, so we are there to help guide them. Of course, for our customers who purchase flight, we're there to help guide them with tips and tricks on to how to really um, make sure that we're addressing the whole system so that they're using flight while thinking about their breathing, while applying it to some of their functional movements, um, to whatever is causing their urinary incontinence. So we're really proud of that service because, again, as a product company, we really want to make sure that we're um, thinking about the customer and we want to be kind of a customer first company just as in clinical care we are very patient first uh, patient centric so that is available to all of you um, we have clinicians who like to use that and and give that to their patients if they have questions about their pelvic floor um, and they can just call in schedule a 10 minute time slot and our customer care manager is a pelvic pt leah she will just call them and talk to them it's almost like triaging them and help them figure out the right next steps um, based on their history. So that is available on our website. You can just go to flighttherapy.com um, and you'll click ask a PT and you're welcome to give that to any of your patients. Hopefully that is something beneficial. We always want more resources out there. Um, I just wanted to add in, these are my last few slides, but just uh, some of the, the testimonials that we've received, um, which is so exciting as a pelvic PT, I will say very clearly, I think every single person should have a one-on-one -on -one assessment and get care. Um, we should do, be doing preventative care. However, that's a long way off and we've got to still work on that. Um, so we need definitely need to have more resources and education out there. So it's really exciting to see uh, flight, which can really be incorporated, especially into new moms' lives, people who are really busy, may have to travel a far way for pelvic PT, um, may not have the financial ability to do it based on their insurance. 
lots of different barriers out there. So really exciting to see, for example, this mom of three young children see improvements um, with her running uh, after her pelvic PT, who actually we um, reached out in this pelvic PT recommended flight, especially for this patient, um, because they were not able to come in as frequently either. They had children, childcare, other things going on. Um, and she had some great results. So we're really excited about that. And then lastly here, um, another testimonial about not wanting to have surgery and seeing improvements there, uh, which ties in nicely with our first clinical study where we had 60 um, women who were actually all, <clears throat> excuse me, all recommended surgery. They had all gone through conservative care, pelvic floor, physical therapy, pessaries, other types of conservative care, and they were not improving. So they were all recommended surgery um, and flight. Actually, this was in Norway, the first clinical study. Flight was just before it was called flight. This new um, device that was being researched was offered as a clinical trial option. It's not invasive. Hey, before you have surgery, if you want to opt in. And um, all 60 of these women uh, completed the program. None of them got surgery after the clinical study. And when we followed up with them two years later, none of them had received surgery, which is always amazing. So very, very exciting. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to put some of my information up here um, with flight. If you are interested, your patient should, just can go to our website. Um, no prescription is required. They can use HSA, FSA funds um, and purchase off there. We also have payment plans. It's $3.95 uh, for the unit. That's for your patient to keep. They have access to our all our education. We have a private Facebook community as well with our customers where we like to post some pelvic floor education, um, things like that. And so that's available to any of your patients. And we also do clinician codes. So if you feel like this would be beneficial for you, you know, you can reach out to me. My email is right here and happy to create a code for $50 off for your patients. Um, and, and any other options on collaborating or, or trying to get some more resources out there for doing things like this. So thank you, Vic, so much for inviting me on to spread the word about pelvic floor and pelvic health. Um, and please follow us on social and we appreciate your support and happy to take any questions. That was a really great presentation. Um, can you take it out of screen sharing? Yes, I can. Okay. And good, then I can see everybody. <laughs> Uh, that was a great presentation. I, I was very impressed when you gave the the poster talk at Suna. That's what really got me, uh, you know, out to recruit you to talk, and I, I wasn't disappointed. Oh, so we good. do have Thank some. You. We do have some questions that came in. I want to uh, uh, ask you some of these from the audience. So Leo Ligon said, "Great informative presentation. Pelvic physical physical therapy is a very high." I'm sorry, it has a very high demand in the local community. Thanks for the wonderful PT providers. I will ask proximal PT providers regarding the flight treatment options. Question, flight patient insurance coverage, Medicare private? Yeah, great question. So since flight is an, it's an over-the-counter product, so insurance does not cover it. Um, to be to be transparent, the reason that is, is because there's no code for mechanotherapy right now. It's a new technology. And so the insurance companies say, oh, this is electrical stim, use that code. And we legally cannot because we're not electrical stim. So that is our next battle. We are working on that. As I'm sure you all know, that takes 
a lot of effort and a lot of years. Um, so hopefully we will get there. But we do have FSA, HSA. We take those dollars. Um, we have a payment plan. We also also have a performance back guarantee for that reason, because as I said, it's important to us that we're helping the people who truly will benefit um, from this type of product. Uh, so we do have our free Ask a PT service. If you have patients, they can always call to kind of get guided if this is appropriate for them. Um, and then secondly, the performance back guarantee, if your patient were to use this, uh, all they would need to do is just call our customer care within those six weeks so they can get some support and tips and tricks. But if it's still continuing to not give them the results they need, we take it back and we refund them. Oh, that's really good. Uh, Leo also had a second question. How much significance does the postmenopausal vaginal atrophy contribute to stress urinary incontinence? Any inputs with over-the-counter daily medical uh, medical skin, olive oil, replens, refresh, and prescription estradiol cream? Yeah, that's a great question. We definitely see that, um, especially if you have some some thinning of the vaginal tissue that can also impact uh, the urethra and, and right where, where the urethral opening is as well. Um, so especially with those patient, patients, as a if they're in my clinic as a pelvic PT, most pelvic PTs will do a vulvar examination um, and, and look at all of that very closely. Um, generally I found that it can be, it definitely can be a big part of the urinary incontinence. Um, it's, it's usually a piece of the puzzle. Uh, so that's generally something that if we do see that with a, a patient, we definitely make that referral out, um, so that they can get that care and start, you know, appropriate treatment. Um, and then we're also working on how are you breathing? How are you moving? All of those good things. I generally find that that's kind of the um, the straw that broke the camel's back. I have to think about that that phrase, and and that can really lead to some of these other issues. So definitely something that that can be beneficial. I will say for um, for flight, we get that question a lot about the intravaginal wand. Is to um, you know is this comfortable for some of those patients? For example, postmenopausal. Um, we do have a smaller wand available. So if anyone is going to our website, know that our smaller wand is available. It's pretty narrow. Um, and we've had quite a few uh, people of different ages, um, different stages of life, things like that, uh, use the smaller wand with success. As with our original wand, we did have some women who had some discomfort um, with insertion of the wand. Uh, that being said, we're always going to have that because again, there's a lot of a lot of people out there who may not know that they have overactive or tight pelvic floor muscles. Um, so that is always, you know, going to be an issue. But if they're having tight pelvic floor muscles, we're probably not the right option for them. Uh, so that smaller wand is going to be our standard starting here in the next few weeks. Um, so hopefully that will kind of give everyone some confidence for some of those patients who might, you know, be perimenopausal or postmenopausal have been doing very well with this new wand. Very good. Thank you. Now, Paula Wagner sent in this question. What do you think about the chair? Oh, the Amsella chair? <laughs> um, well, I'll be very honest. I absolutely despise it. <laughs> I think you'll hear most pelvic floor PTs along that same line. Um, it is not very specific. 
Um, it's not addressing the whole system. It's not addressing coordination. And generally, what it's probably going to do is cause a lot of really overactive, tight pelvic floor muscles because it's just causing your glutes and your abs and everything to turn on all at once. Um, and it's very expensive. It's very expensive. And it's hard to fit that into people's budgets without the appropriate, really great research that I would look behind it. For, for those of us that, like myself, who doesn't know what the chair is, could you explain what that is? Yeah. So I, I don't know too much about it, but essentially it's, it's a chair where you can, I believe, gosh, I believe it's like a thousand dollars, maybe more to, to do one session, but you have to go in for multiple sessions. I think anywhere between three to nine. Um, but it's, it's essentially going in and it's stimulating the muscles. You just sit on it. So it's external. Um, it doesn't involve anything intravaginal and you just sit on there and it essentially causes all your muscles to contract by an external amount. So it's electrical stimulation, but from the outside and it's, um, got very popular actually on, and I embarrassed, I'm embarrassed to know this, but it got very popular on reality TV shows because, um, some of these people like the Kardashians and all these were kind of using the Mcella chair to help tighten their uh, vag vaginal area. And, um, you know, there's a lot of issues with that too, but <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I had a feeling it was the, uh, back in the day, we had something called the Neotonus chair, which mm. was electromagnetic stimulation. I think this is just the same mm -hmm. chair dusted off and it didn't work then. I, I, I have my doubts about now. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, would not recommend. Um, the one thing I, you know, people question, you know, it's not covered by insurance and you said $395. Mm -hmm. When you, you know, pads are not covered by insurance and you yep. start adding up the cost, what people are paying for incontinence, yeah. you know, management, not treatment. It's, I think it's really not a bad price. Yeah, absolutely. We we did a comparison study even, and we found exactly that, you know, that this is a, a pretty reasonable price in terms of how much patients are contributing daily. Um, and I mean, it's, it impacts your quality of life so much. And so we have had so many women just reach out to us and, and say like, this, this was worth it, you know? Um, yeah which is, which is fabulous. And, you know, we do try to make it as um, accessible as possible. Uh, and because our product is a little different from some of these biofeedbacks, it is a little bit more expensive because it has a weighted motor an accelerometer and a gyroscope all within that little wand. Um, and so that is, that is mainly the reason. Any questions from any of our panelists, Andrea? Thank you so much, Dr. Cavella. That was a great presentation. Um, can you go over what's the best way to do a pelvic floor exam in a male patient? Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the best way would be going ahead and if the patient is comfortable and they, you have their consent, um, going anorectally. Uh, that is the best way that you can get that information, um, essentially starting at the external sphincter and just testing their strength there first. I'll often have them see if they can try and squeeze and lift where my finger is. And then I'll also have them feel if they can bulge. A lot of times um, you'll see that the coordination can be kind of difficult. So 
if you have an opportunity to spend a minute there and just kind of give them that cue of, can you feel my finger? Um, sometimes for some males and females, it can, it can be difficult to just coordinate that at first. So it's not true weakness or true, um, you know, poor bulging, but just not knowing how to do that essentially. Um, so that's kind of where I would start and then continue uh, a little deeper there and just test their strength. You can test their endurance there as well. And then feeling that bulge and that dropping um, for pelvic floor. You get all the same information, even with um, females or other genders, you know, we, sometimes it's, it's easier and it's better to go anorectally as well. And you're still getting that information about the pelvic floor. Um, so it, it's really, it's just kind of for females, it's kind of dependent on what they're comfortable with, <clears throat> but for males, that's, that's how I would go about it. Thank you. Very good. Mm -hmm. This uh, question pop up here. Um, I have used the Emsala and it had fantastic results. Using oh, high-frequency focused electromagnetic field therapy, I stop urinary leakage when running, coughing, etc. I do understand that it recruits accessory muscles, but it worked very well for me. It usually costs fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for four to six thirty-minute sessions. Also, not covered by insurance at this time. So, well, thank you for the information because that's great. That's that's the nice thing when we got the panel. Sometimes we find out more from the attendees than we might not know ourselves. So, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'll say I'm a big believer, and you know, I have patients who come and say, "Oh, I've done this and I've done that," and I'm like, "If it's helping you, fantastic." You know, so I think that's wonderful. Um, but speaking from like a global perspective, as how we would want to train the muscles and make it cost effective, it wouldn't be my first choice. But I'm really glad to hear that it has helped you. And I think it's always good to have options. You know, I always have the, the old adage, if, if the only tool you have in your box is a, a hammer, everything's got to look like a nail. Yeah, and That's just not the case. Everything you treat is not the same. And mm -hmm. it's good to have medical therapies and physical therapies and all these other options out there. And I think the big thing is to have well-motivated and educated patients too. And okay. I think the, the one thing I liked about your device was the fact that there was a form of biofeedback. Patients can see something happening. They can feel something happening. Right. It, it helps people buy into it. Because if you don't do it, you can go mm -hmm. to all the, and I, I'm, I'm a personal example. I have a lot of back issues. And for the longest time, I went to physical therapy and, you know, I went through all the exercises, but I have to admit when I got home, I didn't do them like I should until I really threw my back out and I decided, Hey, I'm going to do the core exercises every day for a half hour. What do I got to lose? And I did it. And two weeks later, suddenly I could get up and my back didn't hurt. And I'm like, That's okay, <laughs> there was the buy-in. You have to have the proof. You have to Definitely. get the patient to be motivated. You guys have a tough job because oh, yeah. know, doctors give them a pill and if they get better, great. If they don't, they give them a different pill. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a much harder sell to get people to do exercise. Definitely. It, it takes work and it takes the effort, but the results can be really long-term and sustainable for sure. Yeah. Well, that's great. Really appreciate you coming on today. It was a great talk. Um, let's see one more question coming up here before we call it a day. Um, I have used a PFPT who says that the pelvic floor is important for urination, defecation, and fornication. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. 
And I couldn't leave on a better note. (laughs) 100% agree. And uh, before we forget, if you don't mind, I would like to say welcome to Diane, Jackie, Katie, Leo, Melanie, Monica, Robert, and Susie. And regarding BTL Msela, I believe BTL is a manufacturer of medical devices from Israel. BTL Msela is the name of the device. It's super heavy. It comes in two pieces. It costs over over a hundred and some odd thousand dollars for the practice. It is cash-based service by the practice to the patient. The in my in my thriving urology practice Facebook group, we do have some very opinionated, or if you will, uh, members who initially bought the device but were not very happy with whatever it is, the outcome or the uptake, and they uh, they they kind of shied away from that device. You can actually find these on sale as used devices online for about seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. 70,395. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Or, well, if you think about it, BTL Msela is super heavy. It's a big electromagnetic magnetic device. I, I'm not familiar with Neotonus, but I bet it's similar. Maybe a stronger magnet. It, it actually it sounds like it's exactly the same. Yeah. It's hard to transport, so patients have to go to that one location yeah. to get to get the the service or, and the uh, product. Whereas uh, flight is something that people can access worldwide without having to leave the comfort of their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I think I'll, I'll clarify as a pelvic PT. I think the reason that we and I'm speaking for all of us, but I think the majority of us are very opinionated about it because we do feel that it's a very expensive attempted quick fix treatment when we know that, you know, the biofeedback is important, the coordination, how you're using these muscles, the breath, all of these other things from a musculoskeletal standpoint. Um, so having something um, that you can you know, you want to train your muscles at the gym. You got to show up and be consistent. You got to work on it. And I'm not going to lie. Like we didn't create a product that you can just use once. Then there's a reason for that, you know, um, definitely. In, in 2022, everyone wants a f- quick fix, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything is, it's like sw- you, you swipe for one click buy and That's you right. expect your products to deliver to your home in two yeah. days. Now the same day, Pretty soon, it'll be just a few hours, right? We all want quick fixes. And that's why these uh, products and services are so popular. Mm -hmm. I have actually sent quite a few male patients of mine to pelvic floor physical therapists. And pelvic floor physical therapists are kind of a unicorn. They're hard to find. So (laughs) There's more of them coming, hopefully. Yeah, it's, it's great to have one in your community. And I bet they're just overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. The The demand has been crazy. And um, that's actually where we've heard from all types of clinicians of, gosh, my patients can't get into pelvic PT for three months. Can I get them to call your ask a PT service? And so um, it's, it's definitely a bigger problem. And we hope to be a resource, but you're completely right. We need, we need more 
PTs and more collaborations. So I'm so glad to be here to, to be talking with everyone. Yeah, well, thank and you. They, thank go ahead. And go ahead. they work for and they work for males and females, especially. Yes, I, I find that a lot. Yeah, and I find that a lot of my type A personality patients, especially my engineers, I have Intel near me, Intel, the the microchip manufacturing plant. A lot mm -hmm. of engineers, they tend to be very, very type A. They complain of urinary issues, ir irritated avoiding symptoms, frequency, urgency, sometimes mm -hmm. uh, pelvic floor tightness and pain. Those, after a negative examination, getting a good history, they're often good candidates for pelvic floor physical therapy. So I send them there and they do well. That's great. I think the old-fashioned chronic prostatitis diagnosis, a lot of those were overactive bladder. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. It could be from right, well, the pelvic floor. Just, we're going to keep within our normal subject hours and not keep people longer than they wanted to be. Um, I do like, want to thank everyone for showing up. Uh, great Thanks to all the panelists. It was a great Halloween weekend discussion. And we are going to allow people to go to the uh, website and click on that after party. If you want to keep having more fun, stay with the after party. Click that bar, uh, bar and we'll see you over on the after party. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye.